Hey Church of the Beloved, thanks for tuning in to our weekly sermon podcast. My name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. Today's message is brought to us by our interim senior pastor, Abe Lee. He is preaching from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-7. through 7. So, uh, as has become my MO, or modus operandi, or if you don't know what that means, just the way of... I do things currently, at least for this sermon series. I like to start off with a recap of where we've been, uh, especially for those who are just joining us. So we've, we're in this sermon series called Letters from a Friend, and it's looking at Paul's shorter letters to the churches in Galatia, in Ephesus, Philippi, in Colossae, and Thessalonica. We're also looking at the letters that he wrote to Tim and Titus and Phil, or Philemon. Uh, we start off by looking at Paul's life overall, how his life uh, reminds us that no one is beyond God's reach. And then we look at Galatians, which is about unity in our Christian liberty. Ephesians is about unity in our diversity. Philippians is about our unity in our humility. And Colossians is about being united as a family that lives as Christ loves. We spend some time looking at 1 Thessalonians, which has a lot of information and a lot of, to learn. But one key takeaway from that letter was that it's only with the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be sanctified, be made holy through our often afflictions. And then Second Thessalonians was more about waiting because Jesus is coming back. And while we wait, the able body and the busy bodies, we're called to work, to do good, and to pray. All right? I don't know if you realize this, but we've actually been in this series since March. Uh, it's been a while, and I just boiled down basically three months of sermons in 30 seconds. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, um, but it is where it is. And anyway, we're going to be spending time today on Paul's first letter to Timothy. And this is one of the first of three pastoral epistles or instructions, letters, about pastors and for pastors. Second Timothy and Titus, we'll be looking at those in the next couple weeks. I'll say this, as Aaron mentioned, uh, we are going to take a moment to pause again uh, from this sermon series because we're going to be celebrating Jesus on the beach. Uh, It'll be a nice, mark your calendars, last Sunday of the month, June 26th. Um, It's going to be at the Ohio Street Beach, basically. Uh, Don't come here. Um, if you're interested in being baptized as well and joining those who want to publicly proclaim their faith, um, we're going to be meeting over lunch, not after lunch, over lunch. It's just going to be like 15 minutes. We talk about what baptism is. It's not a commitment to be baptized. It's just an understanding of what it is. Just You can absolutely join uh, and chat with the, the folks that are planning on being baptized at the end of the month. And I'll tell you, a few days after that, I'm going to be flying to Zambia to join my wife, Suzette, who will already be there. We're going to be working with and walking with our partners, Hands at Work. Um, We'll be there for a while, and then we'll be back in August. But because I'm going to be gone, I've asked an old friend of ours, Pastor Ashanti. He's going to close out our Letters from a Friend sermon series. He's going to be preaching on that last letter written to Philemon. I've also arranged for some new friends uh, to preach from this pulpit while I'm gone. Uh, Pastors Ricky Padilla and Joyce Dalrymple, that are going to be preaching from the pulpit in July. I'm kind of sorry that I'm going to be missing it in person, but I'll be watching, hopefully, once I get back. But that's just a few quick announcements, and let's get back to today's letter. And I'll tell you this. I love to see how God works sometimes. Because the timing of this letter as part of this series on this particular day is, I think, perfect. At least I thought it would be perfect. I mean, we, we just, uh, when we're scheduling Pastor Clint to come, we're going to have this debrief after service on how we feel about our new senior pastor candidate. And 
to discern whether we as a family here at Church of the Beloved understand, desire, and, and affirm that God has called Clint to serve as our pastor, or maybe not, or as our shepherd, right? So this book, this book, this letter should be a great way, a great help to remind us what we should be considering and looking for regarding that leader, that shepherd, which is what Cots read for us. And I'll tell you, I had that thought in my mind the whole time I was reading this letter. I was like, oh, this week's sermon prep is going to be so straightforward, very, maybe even easy, right? I was, I was like, I got this. It's going to be easy. It'll be a chill week. Then I come to chapter 2, verse 12. That's what it says here. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Oh, Paul. Uh, I'll tell you this. I believe that today as a congregation, we need to focus on looking at the qualifications, the characteristics of a pastor or a shepherd for our church. But I don't want to ignore difficult passages that are very present in this library, this Bible that we love, that we cling to as the God-breathed, spirit-inspired truth. See, the proper preaching of the word, it requires that I focus on what the word is saying, not what I want to say. So I, 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 I want to do that just for at least a moment. <clears throat> Looking at this, there, there are a lot of commentaries, a lot of interpretations, a lot of word studies done on this one verse, verse 12. I mean, a lot of them. And each of them tried to provide contextual, cultural, even archaeological evidence to understand, in my opinion, a single basic question. A question that will help understand the implications of this verse today in our world. And I think this question is, the question is this. Is this verse intended by Paul to be a universal truth for all Christians? Or is it a specific instruction for the church in Ephesus at that time? And I'll tell you, I truly believe there are valid arguments and understanding uh, interpretations on either side. For example... Uh, those who believe that this is a universal truth will often argue that the reference to Adam and Eve, that they ground their understanding to theology, to the study of God, because it's this order of creation that dictates leadership and authority. But on the other end, those that believe that this is a mandate for the Ephesian moment, they view that reference to Adam and Eve oftentimes to be a more general or universal application, one that's often used for many other cultural and contextual things that were happening at the time, practices. So, in other words, this reference is a little less about how the order of creation impacts the life today and more about how Eve being an example of what we are to avoid, which is false teaching. Now, this passage is often uh, a primary focus by two different types of approaches to church structure. We have the, a complementarian structure and we have an egalitarian structure. Now, last week during the Q&A, Pastor Clint, he mentioned, and I mentioned this, and I totally agree with him. I do not like those words. There's, there's so much baggage that comes with the, those terms themselves. You know, I, I'll see, complementarians are oftentimes incorrectly seen as, you know, patriarchal, antiquated. They might be, but, but see, folks often think that complementarians believe women should be subjugated to a male-dominated macho leadership structure. But that's not true, necessarily. Then you have at the other end of the spectrum, the egalitarians who are often wrongly viewed by some as overly liberal or twisting scripture to adhere to current societal pressures rather than everlasting truth, and that is not correct either. I, I think, I believe that the reality is this. Both views, complementarian, egalitarian, understand that the key theological truth behind that's being espoused regarding leaders and authority is this. 
We must seek leaders, pastors, elders, shepherds, who will guard the truth of the gospel with their entire lives, everything they are. Romans 8, 28 says this. Paul said, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And for those who are called according to his purpose. See, God's going to use those called to, to pastor, to, to oversee our local embassy, his church, for his good and for his glory. Because there are roles within Jesus' family. Absolutely. We are all parts of the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14, is what it says, For the body does not consist of one member, but many. And as parts of that body, each of us, we are called to fulfill our roles within this community. We are not called to fulfill all the roles. We're not called to be all the parts. And we are definitely not called to elevate or overvalue one part over another. All this is to say, I am not going to step into that fray. I am not going to tell you where I stand. Because I, I believe, whether this speaks a universal truth or contextual instruction, we're not going to do that. But I want to. And I want to do it soon. I want to take the time to dive into this question more, to theologically consider what it is. But in the meantime, we are absolutely a church that understands that there are gifted members of our family here and in the church universal that are called to teach. And we are going to give those individuals that are called to teach the opportunity to do just that. That's why Cuts and Kevin and Michael, that's why they lead Sunday school class, which is rescheduled for next week. That's why I've asked Pastors Ashanti and Pastor Joyce and Pastor Ricky to preach while I'm in Africa. And that's why we will give the space for those called to a role in serving the beloved of God because of Christ alone to fulfill their role and to fulfill their purpose for the kingdom of God in this place. There's another thing to consider here before we get into the characteristics of, uh, of that we should be looking at when it comes to affirming a shepherd for our church. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. Paul. Um, I'll tell you, pulling this passage out without the verses that lead up to it and, and without understanding a little bit about the church that Timothy was called to pastor will make a modern reader cringe. Will make somebody think Paul was a chauvinist. But that's unfair because we need to consider a few things. First of all, the word quiet, at least in Greek, it can also mean peaceful. It can also mean without disruption. So let a woman learn without causing disruption, which still doesn't sound that great. So we continue to look at the context around it, and you see that this was not necessarily limited to women alone. The, the men in the church, if you read this, they were fighting instead of praying. Verse 8, it says, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. See, the Jews, they were making fists. They were lifting hands in anger. So Paul is calling them out, so they lift hands in prayer. Because it seemed that there were people in that church that were so disruptive that others could not learn. It just so happens that there was likely a number of prominent women in the church that were being led astray by false teachers. And as a result, they were probably the primary cause of some, the disruption that was happening in the church. So that's why Paul emphasizes this instruction to the women. But this call to come together as a body of believers to learn the truth of the gospel and, and, and how to allow the transformative work of the Holy Spirit to reign and rule in our lives without disruption is not just for one group. It's for everyone. I'll tell you, this letter 
to Timothy, there's a lot in here. It's absolutely worth diving deeper into. Maybe it's something we can do in the future. I'm not sure. I hope so. I found it absolutely fascinating myself as I was reading it this past week. And I'll tell you, if you go deeper, and I hope you do, you have to understand that everything written in this letter, it has to be taken within the context of the original readers and within the context of the Bible as a whole. See, balancing out the meaning and the subtext of Paul's instructions to Timothy as Tim was struggling with whether he should continue pastoring this church, balancing that with the truths that Paul wrote in his other letters, and balancing that with the truth written by other apostles, and balancing that with the truth spoken by the Old Testament prophets, all of it has to be taken together. And we have to take it all without adding in our own drama, our own issues that skew our vision today to understand it. See, this letter to Tim was, there is a primary purpose that Paul shares. And he tells us in verses 14 and 16 of chapter 3, uh, I says, I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. The household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. This letter is intended to show us how to be a church and how to be a church that understands and allows the gospel to transform us. And that brings us to the passage that cuts road for us today. And, and I think one thing is very important to know in verses 1 to 7, it's not merely a breakdown of what we should be looking for to affirm a senior pastor. It is a description of the character of every single one of us, including me. As the beloved of God, this is who we are called to be. We are all called to be. If you're married, you're all called to be married until death do you part. We are all called not to be violent. We're all called not to be addicts, not to be quarrelsome, not to be lovers of money. We are all called to be hospitable, to be respectable. We are all called to be self-controlled. This is all for us, how we are called to behave, especially in the household of God, so, so that the world around us might see the beloved of God and desire to be part of this family. It's for all of us. And the shepherd or the pastor of the church of the beloved needs to be the person who exemplifies these characteristics so that we can also learn how to exemplify these characteristics. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, simply says, Paul simply says this, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. See, the under-shepherd the shepherd of our church is the person we want to imitate because we see that person imitating Jesus best. And the caveat to that is that we need all of us to seek these behaviors and qualities of Christ as well. We cannot bring someone in and, and say, oh, well, our pastor is hospitable, so I don't need to be anymore. The characteristics of the pastor we affirm are the example we can follow to be more like Christ. Now, I know that many of you are familiar with this passage. Some of you who are uh, familiar with uh, terms like overseer, elder, deacon, pastor. I, I have a feeling that many of our Moody and our Wheaton grads, you probably have a street-level theology that's so much better than mine because you're all probably smarter than me. But just to make sure that we're all together on the same page, I want to clarify one thing. 
before we dive deeper. The Bible uses the terms pastor, elder, shepherd. They're pretty interchangeable. An overseer. In Greek, pastor is pomino, elder is presbyteros, and overseer is episcopos. I want to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 3. Peter gives this example of how all three of these are all the same by pulling all three of these titles together into a single description, the shepherd of the church. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 3 says, So I exhort the elders, or presbyteros, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that's going to be revealed. Shepherd, or pomino, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, or episcopal, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And you'll see similar things, uh, a description in Acts chapter 20, you'll see it again in Paul's letter to Titus. So today's passage, when it references the office of the overseer, it is absolutely describing the role of pastor or elder shepherd for our church. And you see it from the very start of his description, Paul's description. He says that seeking to be a pastor is a good thing. It's like wanting to be mayor or, or president or to be like Riley, you know, because she's a cool theology professor. Uh, these are all good things to want to want to be. It doesn't mean that you're going to be that. I'm never going to be Riley, but it's a good thing to dream. Right? It's a, a little tangent. I, I want to mention this. I did not seek the role of pastor here. I, I didn't want to be a pastor. I, back in San Francisco, when they asked me to be, I didn't want to be an elder over there. When I was first asked to step into the role of elder and, uh, in San Francisco and pastor here, I ran hard. I just, I was not this Jonah, but I was like Jonah. Um, I'm so glad that God didn't let that stop him from calling me into serving in this role. Because I'll tell you the truth. I do seek to be a pastor now. My wife and I, we want to continue to live our lives shepherding this church, his local embassy, for as long as God will have us here, as long as God calls us to this place in whatever manner God calls us to do that. I don't know what that's going to look like. Whatever it looks like, God's going to give us wisdom to understand it. But I know this, I am now seeking a good thing. Because a desire to be a pastor is a noble task. It's a godly thing. It's a good thing. But desiring it is not enough. It's not the only thing when affirming someone's call to serve as a shepherd. It's nice, but it's secondary in many ways. We, we are a church... We don't believe in a name it or claim it theology because we submit to God's will. God does not submit to ours. And Scripture shows us, including today's passage, Scripture shows us that those who are called to shepherd or lead our family, to be our episcopos or overseer, to be our pomino or pastor, these are persons of godly character. These are persons that we imitate as they imitate Christ. So let's look at those characteristics that Paul provides, starting with verse 2. It says this, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. Verse 7, it says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. I'll tell you, this is such a big deal, especially nowadays, I think, to, to be respected inside and outside the church. 
There's a podcast uh, by Christianity Today. Some of you have heard of it. It's called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It, it, it chronicles the story of Mark Driscoll. He's a celebrity preacher that ultimately was not above reproach, inside or outside the church. And in many ways, he has done so much damage to the reputation of Christ, the Christ that he preached. A little closer to home, uh, there's a Pastor Min of the Covenant Fellowship Church in Urbana-Champaign, as well as other leaders on staff there. Uh, accusations of sexual misconduct and cover-up abound, and they were not above reproach, inside or outside the church, and they have done so much damage to the reputation of Christ in that place. Even closer to home, our founder, Dave, left without being reconciled with those who accuse of spiritual abuse by him. And he was not above reproach, inside or outside the church. And he has done damage to the reputation of Christ. Mark, Min, Dave, each of them, I'll tell you this, they actually did amazing things in spite of themselves for the gospel. They were used by God to disciple, spirit-filled disciples who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. They did good things, but their character See, we are ambassadors of the gospel in this local embassy of heaven, and we are called to live lives that are above reproach so that we can lead others to live lives that are transformed by the gospel. And the one called to pastor this church, to pastor us, this family, that's the one we want to imitate. So we need to look for the one that is above reproach. Just keep going and look at the other ones. It says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. So Paul's not stating that a pastor needs to be married. It's not what he's, he actually encourages uh, in 1 Corinthians, you know, celibacy, singleness. He says that in some ways that's a better way to be a servant of Christ because you're not distracted. But if you're married, this is something that you need to consider. Now, there are some theologians that look at this restriction and think it uh, applies to polygamous husbands because Back in the day, there really weren't wives with multiple, multiple husbands. It was more husbands with multiple, what they call sister wives. Um, and so this was a restriction on polygamous husbands from serving in the role of pastor. Other theologians believe that this is a restriction against men who had remarried uh, from serving in that role. Regardless, you know, we have to remember that this is a description of the character of a person a character whose example we are called to follow because they are imitating Christ. And if we consider, consider that Christ explains God's design for marriage, I think back in Matthew, and, and our twisting of it by introducing divorce, and how if we're divorced, we're actually still married. And, and when marriage, remarriage, actually is logical, it makes sense. These are the things we need to consider if, we're, if a person is called to shepherd our church and is married. Is what Christ defined as marriage. And there's another point that uh, is almost lost, and it's regarding polygamy. It's not something we see in our church today. We don't have many sister wives or any sister wives, I hope. Um, so it's easy to forget about it, but, but there's a subtext beneath his edict that needs to be considered. See, in Paul's time, polygamy wasn't very common, among the common people at least. Polygamy was something practiced among the powerful, among the rich, among the rulers and the, and the chiefs. So, so if a leader who was polygamous, a leader of the world became a Christian, Paul's explained that that does not, because you're a leader in the world, that does not automatically make you a leader in the church, a ruler in the church. Polygamy was exercised by the powerful. But Christ 
flips that reality around on his head. Not, not only is the role of pastor one of servant leadership, it's also not based on the same rules or the same assumptions that, that being a leader in the world assumes. See, just because I'm a manager or a boss in my day-to-day, it does not mean I can be a leader, an elder, a pastor in the church. It is a character and the appointment by God to serve in this way that dictates who will and who should pastor God's church. The next three in this verse are sober-minded, self-controlled, and respectable. Now, these three characteristics, they show us that the shepherd of our church needs to have an orderly life. In other words, someone who doesn't, like, fly off the handle. Uh, someone who's even keeled. We need a person that, that, that's not, that we're not afraid to talk to about difficult things because of how they'll respond. We don't want to have to walk on eggshells around that individual. A, a measured and mindful person who's, who's able to stand up as well to the slings and the arrows that are going to be thrown at them from outside and from within sometimes. Now, I'm not saying that this person needs to be perfectly calm all the time to the point of being boring. I was thinking about this. I'll be honest with you. I was thinking the Dalai Lama, if he were Christian and he understood the salvific nature of Christ's redemptive act on the cross, he could make a good, well, maybe not. He would have these characteristics at least really well nailed down. He does have them. That's what we're looking for. We're not looking for the Dalai Lama, but just it's an example. The next one is hospitable. Let me move on. I, I, I know I've explained this before, but for those of you who are joining us for the first time, I do have a day job that helps support my role here as pastor at Church of the Beloved. I work for a software company. And one of the things we joke about uh, often uh, regarding, you know, software development is that you know, life would be so much easier if it weren't for customers, you know, because, you know, customers suck. No, customers do not suck. If a customer is watching, we love customers. Um, <laughs> But the idea is this, you know, it's building software just for me. That's ridiculous. It doesn't make sense at all. So we need a pastor who loves the people, who loves the people that they are pastoring. The person that we affirm into the role of senior pastor, whoever that is, whoever we affirm as an elder, must be someone that will open their homes and open their hearts to us, the beloved of God. The next thing Paul points out is able to teach. And this call to teach, it is not unique to the pastor of any church, but at the same time, it kind of is. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20, Jesus' final instruction to uh, the disciples is, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Every one of us has a responsibility to teach in some shape or form. But at the same time, only a few of us are called to teach as pastors or elders. James chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for, for you know that we, sh- we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The very public role of pastor has a higher standard when it comes to teaching. And, and this higher standard actually assumes two things, that the pastor has something to say, and the pastor actually knows how to say it. That there is knowledge and that there is wisdom and that there is winsomeness. By by that I mean that the pastor is not only versed in the truth of the gospel, but that that pastor is able to communicate that gospel. Not that the pastor is going to know all the answers, nor all the questions. No, but just as a shepherd leads the flock by knowing what's up ahead, the pastor that we affirm in this church needs to be a person that can do the same. To lead us well, to bring us home 
to build this community, to draw us nearer to our Father. I'm looking at the clock. I'm starting to run out of time, so I want to run through the rest of this passage really quickly. Uh, It says, uh, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Basically, the, the, the pastor and elder that was called to be, is called not to be addicted to things other than God. Is called to, to, to be someone who seeks peace or shalom, strives for reconciliation uh, uh, during conflict. Is someone who needs to be uh, not seeking, uh, not, not poor for the sake of being poor, but understands that finances are a resource to be used for God, not to be sought after instead of God. This is who we need to identify in our pastor role. Verses 4 and 5, it says this, He must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the, God's church? Now, this is not a command that the children of the pastor need to be perfect. All right? We have a lot of PKs or pastor's kids here as well as MKs, missionary kids. And, you know, we're, we're, we seem to have turned out okay. You know? The PKs of Beloved, we're perfect. You know? That means your parents were perfect. No, we are so not perfect. I'm not, I'll claim that I am not perfect at all. Uh, But the idea here is this, that that the way that a person loves and cares for their family is an indication of the way that this pastor will love and care for the church. Not that the family members, the children, that they have to be perfect, that they even have to be Christian, but that the pastor will know how to manage situations when the wheels fall off, when everything implodes. Jesus explains in Luke chapter 16, verse 10. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Let's go to verse 6. It says, he must not be a recent convert. I I don't know if you've noticed this. Whenever a famous person becomes Christian, suddenly they become the person that everyone goes to to understand Christianity. Like when Justin Bieber uh, or Kanye what was his name? Yay? Yay. When, he, when they proclaimed their faith, suddenly they were the only ones that the media seemed to know were Christian, and then they would ask them questions about the gospel. Uh, but they were, and I still hope they are, learning about their faith. They're still, and they're still seeking sanctification. I really hope they are. So, but to go to a novice in the faith to lead others who want to grow in their faith, just not a great idea. I'm actually out of time. But I want to read one more passage. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 21. It says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. The shepherd of our church must not show partiality to any person or to any group. To those of you who have kids, it's like asking which one is your favorite. We know you have one. Hopefully, just never say out loud, at least not in front of your kids. I used to be a foster care worker. And when I was a foster care worker back in the day, one of the things that we would stress with our foster parents is that the children in your care, your foster kids, you cannot let them feel like they're different from your biological kids. Because if you want them to feel safe, secure, love, there can be no preferential treatment in any way at home. The person called to be our pastor cannot show partiality. You see, I'm a Korean, but as a Korean, I will never show partiality towards another people group. I might show partiality towards food, but not people. It's not an easy thing to say, though, in this church, because the church is intentionally a place where all are welcome who seek 
to love Jesus. And, and as a result, we live in a community that strives for diversity in a world where oftentimes diversity causes incompatibility. But this is the embassy that God has created for us. We are unified in our diversity, and the pastor called to shepherd this church must strive for impartiality. Here's a takeaway I would like to suggest for you today as we consider whether or not Pastor Clint is called to be the pastor of this church. Pastors are not special people. I am so not special. Ask my wife. She knows how unspecial I am. I, we do not seek to live lives that are different from what everyone else in the church is called to live. We're in this doing it together because whoever we affirm to be the senior pastor of this church, this person needs to be the one that exemplifies who we are all called to be. We are all called to be spirit-filled disciples transformed by the gospel who know that they are the beloved of God because of Christ alone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's COTV Sermon Podcast. For more info or to connect with us, you can visit us online at cotv.life. God bless and have a great week.